We were sat closely together, knees and elbows touching around Captain Kinross's small, whisky-aged ship's table in the cosily lit war room he had arranged on board the Falco Columbarius. Kinross's eyes glowed with an almost feverish temperature as he unrolled his map, and after weighing it down with a few choice souvenirs, a Givaro Sansa that he referred to as the headmaster, a small box of .500 Nitro Express cartridges, and a couple of bottles of Mount Gay Eclipse Barbados rum, which he suggested we pass in a left direction as the need for a refreshener arose. Kinross then pushed back in his chair from the table, and after lighting a large black paper cigarette of MacBaron's Seven Seas regular tobacco, complemented with a good helping of Acapulco gold, he proceeded to lay out his and Crabtree's designs for our mission. Gentlemen, we're going to inch our way down the river. Young Crabtree here will be gathering his data at his points of interest. You'll be his spies. I'll be your security. And I'm fair hoping you'll not cause me to split any heads open. I no care to spill blood on a Sabbath, unless it's a dire necessity. Crabtree leant into the table and in a growing excitement of finger-jabbing exclamations, rolled off the essential details for our first engagement. Thank you, Captain. Major, Professor, we will dock at the Hawk and Crow. I wish to read the original documents that mine host, a certain retired surgeon, scientist of anatomy and theoretical physics, Professor Knox, has tucked away in a place of secrecy that we will, with persuasion, discover. Also, this gives us an opportunity to check our bearings, realign our strategy, and have a serious refill. This sketch of our first stop of the night brought out a growling litany of censure from Ken Ross, whose submerged Presbyterian upbringing would on questions of morality suddenly explode into almost Old Testament prophet levels of raging fury. Nox, that son of a bitch on heat! Mother of God, Crabtree! Ye have nae scruples, mon. That one should have hung for his crimes. I'd have kicked a chair away myself to see that half-human fiend swing. Jesus, what kind of possible use do you have with that vermin? Ken Ross had a point. Professor Knox was now living under an assumed name and had hidden himself away, yet in clear view, as the landlord of the most grimmest and vilest of London's riverside alehouses. The black, impious and tormented history of the hawk and crow caused all but the most perverted and criminal-minded of customers to have one drink, look around in a growing state of unease and then leave, quickly. Knox now styled himself as James Barry, licensed victualler to the royal household. This disgraceful conceit was a direct, yet suffered and tolerated insult, directed at unknown but notable persons in the most highest of positions and responsibility in the land. The entirety of the scandal was never publicly disclosed and kept sub rosa, mainly due to Crabtree's behind-the-scenes blackmail efforts with a collective of leading newspaper proprietors and an extremely high-class Soho Gentlemen's Club, and the opportune loss of life of an entire covert Masonic lodge of retired physicians, senior police officers and high court judges, in an explosion and shipwreck in shark-filled seas, when their exclusive cruise ship strayed into Royal Navy live-firing exercise, when their ship had lost power and all radio transmitters failed. 
But now the Falco Columbarius was gliding with the outgoing tide at a gentle pace towards this first of our fact-finding riverside visits. Kinross masterfully brought her as close as a razor to a stubbled throat, right alongside the slimy green seaweed-caked wooden mooring that ran the length of the old brick-and-water-chilled concrete embankment. So we now found ourselves ensconced in this dire and loathsome old riverside inn, that sat in almost permanent shadow not more than a few hundred yards downstream from the friendly glowing lights that festooned Hammersmith Bridge. This infamous old pub, the Hawk and Crow, was nevertheless a stable fixture on our evening rounds, as Crabtree styled them, that we took as a preambulation prior to an evening of dining at the exemplary and salubrious Black Tiger Inn and Chop House that lay on our path home. This visit now, though, was of a more professional and inquisitorial nature, and with a firm grip on the old brass door knob of the pub, I swung the door open, and we stepped into the public bar's oppressive cold umbra. Lounging as if holding court and sat in an old leather armchair beside a small coal fire was Knox, the inn's proprietor. With him at the small table were two sizable business associates of his, both of them nursing glasses of deep-red gibbet gin, an almost indescribably vile combination of gin, grappa, red wine vinegar and lime. This truly abysmal creation was a house special, doled out freely to the lowest and most nauseating of petty criminals. Mr Crabtree, Major, good evening. The usual gentleman and for your companions. Knox's North London accent oozed insincerity and slyness as he barely attempted to conceal the false geniality in this seemingly hospitable welcome within his phony, affable greeting. This did not pass unnoticed by our French professor and our new Scottish compatriot, who glowered in itchy trigger-finger quick-tempered rage at this pusillanimous attempt to rile. Crabtree, as ever primed to pour diplomatic oil onto fermenting and boiling tempers, smoothly brushed away this crass attempt to vex and, with his most disarming tone, made introductions. Mr. Barry, most kind landlord, we will have four large Whitechapel sours, please. Help yourselves, fellas. You know where the stuff is, Crabtree. The sneering attitude and lack of basic civility emanating from Knox was beginning to grate even on myself, and I knew to hold back on applying the old hobnails to his lower organs, at least for the time being. Crabtree was now behind the bar, precisely measuring out an array of spirits. The Whitechapel Sour was a delicate and highly unique blend of high-volume alcohols sourced from mainly American distilleries in Utah and Kentucky, combined with a research-based application of Icelandic aquavits, chilled and sluiced through a comix of Hammersmith hashish flakes and rum-soaked raisins. Semperidum, Mr. Barry, semperidum, always the same. Crabtree cheerily interjected towards the table of our repulsive host and his two disagreeably inclined and scowling heavyweight thugs, now priming themselves in readiness for inevitable aggravation. Is that a question, Crabtree, or another of your tosspot clever quips? Knox had now lit the fuse. He didn't know it was a short one. You can speak when you're spoken to and not before, unless you fancy holding and dance of careball. And like a cobra strike... Kinross was fast across the room, and before the table was kicked up into the bar by the tough nut sitting with Knox, 
He had hauled Knox out of his chair and grinned like a shark before asking, "'So you're a surgeon, eh? Stitch this!' And, with a twitch that I scarcely noticed, he headbutted Knox with an explosive concussion-inducing clout back down into his chair, with such force that the ancient and clearly woodwormed piece of furniture instantly disintegrated. Our French professor was equally rapid in the subduing of his opponent. Whatever the French version of boxing is that they teach in unarmed combat in the Foreign Legion, Monsieur Didier Barreau in the blue corner had a unique grasp of it. Ducking, dodging, dancing, then battering in quick-fire succession, a one-two-three-two combination of jab-cross-hook-cross, which he punctuated with gauche-droite, gauche-droite. I simply put my army browning against the temple of the bristly shaved head of the last of this trio of villains, then applied a toe-cap to his wedding tackle to subdue any ideas of retaliation. Crabtree was finalising the last stages of the cocktails on the bar for us whilst we propped Knox up against the piano in the corner. This veritable old musical instrument was the very piano that our old dear national anthem had had its alternative version composed at a lyrical arrangement so out of step with reality in its discord, and with a syncopation so nerving that men were known to weep at hearing it. Crabtree now wandered into the public bar with our drinks on a tray, and after serving us, took a seat and said, Mr. Barry, I need your skull.